Welcome back to the Act 2 Podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I am Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. And welcome to our podcast. As a reminder, this is just one of the many things that we do. Act 2 is a larger network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. I was actually out on the line yesterday wearing our Act 2 Writer Strike Back shirt. Mm. And someone was like, hey, nice shirt. And I was like, oh, Hey, is this an Act 2 member that I just don't know? And he's like, I love Empire Strikes Back. And I was like, oh, like, I guess the wording on the top that says Act 2 is very small. <laughs> so he, all he saw was, anyways, please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any of the stupid banter at the top of the episodes. What? Uh, you can also give us a rating, <laughs> write a comment. That's always fun. Um, it also really helps our podcast, and it helps our podcast get seen by other writers out there who are searching for some podcast to help them with screenwriting, and this kind of boosts visibility. But if you don't want to do any of that, and you'd rather just DM us with questions or topic suggestions, or you just want to tell us hi, or whatever's going on in your life, that's fine too. You can reach out to us at act2writers at gmail.com, all spelled out, or on our Instagram or threads. Oh boy. At Act Two Writers. <laughs> we just made we made it. We made the switch. We made uh, we made the switch okay. with, you know, millions and millions of other people. You can also find me on all the things. I am Story Thursday on Instagram. I am Story Thursday now on Threads <laughs> as well. <laughs> if Threads doesn't sustain, this is going to be a perfect little snapshot of like a peak in social media history. It is. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm on Instagram as Josh Hallman and Josh Hallman on threads, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I don't look at, but we're, we're, we're good. We got it. Oh, yeah. I, I turn it on instead of Twitter now. I'm there. Wow. How is this going to be different than Twitter? It's like it's the same. People are just going to complain. It's the same. It's just not run by Elon Musk. We went from Musk to Zuckerberg, and everyone's like, "Woo!" That's so true. It's weird that like Zuck has become the hero. <laughs> he's he's failing upwards. He's like, "Yeah, yeah. this is great." <laughs> Typical. Anyway. Anyways, welcome to the podcast, Joshua Hallman. I'm so excited. This is going to be the greatest episode ever. This is an episode where we talk about. Movies that have come out recently. Mm -hmm. So there will be spoilers. Yeah. We'll alert you when the time comes. No, this entire episode is a spoiler. Stop now. If you've not seen The Flash and if you've not seen Indiana Jones, like Josh Hallman. So this is what happened with me. I was supposed to see Indiana Jones yesterday. I had one window. We are currently recording this podcast at 7 a.m. on the weekend. <laughs> I had so one window of time to... <laughs> See Indiana Jones. I had my ticket. I'm ready to go. And then my daughter is like complaining about ear issue. And I'm like, we have to go to the doctor. We have to go to Indiana Jones. <laughs> so I had this, I actually thought in my mind, I was like, should I just have Nicole take Amelia? But then I said to myself, no, I'm a father. <laughs> I'm going to break the cycle of father issues. I'm taking her. 
to the doctor. That is so beautiful. So I missed Indiana Jones, but I'm going to talk to you about Indiana Jones and I'm fully prepared and ready to go. Spoilers and everything. It's for the podcast. It's for the greater good of the world. I just feel so bad for you. I don't want to do that to you. No, no, This is the life I chose and I'm going to live with my decisions. So this week in writing... We can write in. I want to tell you a story, Tasha. Tell me. Did I ever tell you my Inception story? I don't think so. Okay, so with Barbie and Oppenheimer coming out, I, I had a memory of something, and I was thinking about this. And so I went and saw Inception at the Arclight on opening weekend. Mm. And we get into the Arclight. The movie is freaking amazing. It's completely packed. Moment of silence for the Arclight. We're watching this yeah. thing, the, the sound, the, the seating, the popcorn. It was just a magical time if you've been to the Arclight in Los Angeles. So we're watching this movie, and all of a sudden, it starts getting really hot in this theater, like excessively hot. And everyone's like, God dang. this!" And I thought it was maybe it was just because it was crowded. And then people are like sweating. Like my buddy next to me, we're like wiping sweat. And we're like, God, this is really like, this is a really hot theater. And then all of a sudden, the lights come on, the movie stops. An usher walks out and says, guys, the, the air conditioning has broken. We, we can't finish the movie. And this was exactly midway through the movie. So we had oh. watched half of Inception. The crowd in the audience goes freaking like batshit angry, groaning. Everyone's like, oh, they're like, you have to file out. I'm sorry. We're closing all the theaters. So we start filing out. And outside of the arc light is one Christopher Nolan. We see him on his phone just pacing in anger. <gasps> Maybe not in anger, but he's just walking back and forth talking to someone. And then everyone's like, is that Christopher Nolan? And apparently he was in the theater watching Inception somewhere. And he wasn't too happy with the scenario. Yeah. So that was when I saw Inception. And that's my story. What? <laughs> your, your look is like, why did he say that? And also I'm intrigued. <laughs> Follow-up questions. Mm -hmm. Who do we think he was on the phone with? Was he like, find an HVAC guy. Get him fucking here right now. These people need to finish the movie. I have I have no idea. I thought maybe his... I, in my brain, I made up it was his agent. He's just mad. I don't know why you'd be calling his agent. It's like you calling 1L. <laughs> just to be like... <laughs> halfway through my movie, air conditioning went out. Yeah. Yeah, so... I mean, that's pretty painful. That's painful for that many people to be watching your movie and uh, oof, for you to be in that. Oof, I just, yeah. What was great about it, though, is that the movie really did stop at like the midpoint of the, mm. of, I remember it was like an hour and 20 minutes in or whatever. Like it was the perfect. Meaning like there was a huge turning point that happened or just timing wise? Yeah, no, it, it was both. It was like the big midpoint turning point whatever i can't remember what it was i think he was like i can't remember but i remember looking at the time and then being like wow that was the midpoint of the movie yeah and like it was it was just picking up and getting really crazy oh wow yeah so well i mean i think that's like a hook right i, I bet most people went back to see it oh my god I yeah i went back the next day yeah it's awesome i'm very weird i don't think <clears throat> i want to ever see like, I don't want to go to the premieres of anything. 
really? that I have because I'm when I was in college and you do like little short films or whatever in college, I remember whenever anyone would like shift in their seat or cough, I'd be like, get the fuck out. <laughs> oh, you're <laughs> they hate my movie or, or like I need to get out and then you bury my head in the sand or something. It was I'm like, very sensitive. Well, that's not going to go well. It's not <laughs> No, maybe I've matured since then. That was a long time ago. Let's hope. Okay, I have this week in writing as well. I've been talking a lot recently with a writer friend of mine about what makes a showrunner hire a writer for a TV room. And, of course, the reasons vary, and it's always personal or specific to that showrunner. But something that sort of a a general thing is, do you want a a loud writer, a writer who's always pitching ideas like crazy in the room, Mm. or someone who's quieter? And I feel like overwhelmingly, showrunners would choose of those two options, someone who is louder, someone Mm. who is always pitching ideas, because I think what a showrunner is concerned about is getting into the writer's room and being lost and not having enough different opinions and enough different ideas and enough sort of crazy ideas being thrown out into the room to generate any kind of momentum to create the story, right? If you have a bunch of quiet people in a room, you might get five ideas versus if you had loud people, you're going to get 50 ideas Mm -hmm. in the same amount of time, right? So overwhelmingly, I feel like a showrunner would choose sort of the louder person. But this friend that I was talking to is a quieter writer and she argues that that's actually more valuable because she is more thoughtful about her pitches. So Mm -hmm. those 50 pitches you're going to get from a louder person, 10 might be good, if that. But for a more thoughtful, quieter person who kind of is taking in the room, they're thinking about the situation, and it maybe takes them 20 minutes to come up with a pitch. When they do pitch, it's going to be really solid. It's going to be well thought out. It's going to be um, it's going to consider character and context and all these things. Because what I have found is that the louder writer is great because, again, if you feel lost somewhere in those 50 ideas is going to be something that triggers something for you. And that's what's helpful ultimately. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times those people who have 50 ideas aren't thinking about the context of a scene, what the characters would actually do. They just think of crazy fucking ideas. And it can slow the room down a lot because the room now has to entertain all 50 ideas, right? Like, Josh, if you if you pitched in our Indiana Jones TV show room... Huh? Um, that there should be aliens. We now have to talk about, okay, like, does a- do aliens work? And I will quickly say no. We'll get out of the room. We're not going to do that. Well, now we're entering Crystal Skull ter- territory. <laughs> and, but, like, that slows down the room, right? Yeah. Versus if you had more thoughtful pitches that actually had context and were grounded in what we were actually talking about, we wouldn't have to have to slow it down. So it was just, that was just an interesting conversation we were having between the different kinds of writers. And I feel like this is a sort of a longer topic to talk about at some point, which is the kind of writers that exist in a room and the kind of writer you might be if you were in a room and how to kind of harness your natural sort of instinct. If you are that louder person who gives 50 ideas or if you are that quieter person or if you're somewhere in between, um, how can you kind of harness your superpower essentially to service the room in the best possible way? Um, That's it. No, that's great. 
that that makes it almost sounds like you need a balance of uh, loud and thoughtful. Yeah. Because sometimes the thoughtful people feed off of the louder people, and it's just like, yeah. I, I guess I'm just trying to think of it as if I'm sitting in a room and you kind of just have to feel it, like feel the flow. Mm-hmm. Like you, if so, if people are just being too loud, you kind of maybe have to pull back and be a little more thoughtful. Well, it's interesting you say that because in a room I was in once, um, there was one of those loud voices and the showrunner said to me, I need that person to talk less and I need you to talk more. Mm. And I was like, if I do that, I will have to interrupt that person because the way that person speaks is just on like a constant roll. It, it just rolls into idea, idea, idea. So there's no room for anyone else to speak. And also he's, his ideas take a really long time to get out. So like you kind of know what this guy's going to pitch within a few seconds of him pitching it, but he continues on for another 10 minutes. Mm. And so I was like, I would have to interrupt him and be rude. And the show owner was like, you need to do that then. Wow. Because I, I need different voices. Like it can't just be this loud guy all the time. Wow. That, that's interesting. Those are it is the, interesting. The dynamics that, you enter. Yeah. yeah, that creates like tension and like, oh man, Tasha's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> Why is she interrupting me? Question for you. Mm. I think I kind of know the answer to this, but what do you think is the proper way to interrupt someone like that in the room? So I'm talking, I'm throwing out my ideas. Is this mm. one of those kind of motion with your hands? We kind of do this in writer's group a little bit where if someone's talking, you, you, like, it's like, okay, you're done. I don't want to interrupt you, I don't, but... But I have a great idea. Yeah. I think it, there, there, are two, there are two tacks I take. One is, that's a really great idea, but that, that gave me an idea for something else. And then we're like riffing off each other, kind of. Yeah. Or I just flat out interrupt them and I, and I seem rude. But I think the rest of the room knows that that person is just rambling. Yeah. So, you know when someone's rambling. You know when someone's rambling, but yeah those are the only ways i feel like you're rude or you're you try to be like oh that made me think of something else because that is definitely the vibe of the room is everyone's like oh and then this and then oh but yeah but then this there is like a, a an energy a sense of just building off of each other's ideas so if you can bill your interruption as building off of their idea then that, that makes it feel sort of less assholeish in improv class they it's the, oh, uh-huh. that uh-huh you know it, there's that term of yes and where mm-hmm. someone says something, you're like, yes, and something, something. And I feel like in a writer's room, it is, oh, that's interesting. And so there, it's almost like acknowledging someone so you're not dismissing them, but also kind of dismissing them and going into your own thought. That's interesting yeah. is... That's, t- that's a very Tasha thing to say, though. That's my... Is it? That's my turn of phrase. Maybe, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe I think I've taken it from you for sure, because I've talked to people... <laughs> And if they've given me notes, I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Also, and it's so such a perfect way to maneuver either to add to the note or to move on from the note. Yeah, very, very true. But but we also, by the way, and I think of you every time this happens, writers often use yes and in the room. Like all the time. <laughs> I think of- it's I do, I think of you. Yeah, what, what an honor. <laughs> 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 if you get, if you guys don't know, Josh has taken an improv class. Yeah, I took that one improv class, which was great. <laughs> yes, and yeah, yeah, I remember it. You, you know, you were talking about how it changed your writing. Ch- it changed. It, it would helped with my pitching. 
Yeah. Oh, for sure. And just that, that, that whole thing. Yeah. So obviously when the new Indiana Jones came out, there's all this Indiana Jones stuff. Everyone's writing about the old Indiana Jones. And I saw this article in defense of the crystal skull and it, the article, I think it was like a GQ article. It was like time to revisit the crystal skull. Is it as bad as people think? And then it defended it. Then recently I was on Netflix and the movie White House Down is currently trending at number one. Whoa. Uh, that's the Channing Tatum, Janie, yeah. Janie Fox. And I was like, how the hell did this happen? I still don't know how it happened. But it just got me thinking about the current time we're in. We have movies that just get ridiculed 15 to 20 years ago. Or they don't do well. And then people revisit them and just completely defend them. Like I, I feel like this mm-hmm. happens now more than it's ever happened before. Oh, interesting. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a cultural thing. I don't know why people go back and revisit. Like, I remember th- this was all Phantom Menace stuff as well. I remember seeing mm. The Phantom Menace. No one really liked The Phantom Menace at the time. I mean, people did, but then kind of look back at it and you're like, okay, Lucas was taking some swings. I really respect that. And it just made me think about the appreciation of something in the moment. And why do we have to go back and revisit these things and then change our mind? I guess because that's, that's sort of what people do with art. Right, it's well, you're in a you're in a new time. You have perspective. You go back without sort of the the current times or your current point of view weighing you down. You have a fresh outlook, and you're able to look at art in a new and different way. Mm-hmm. I'm never gonna watch Crystal Skull ever again in mm. my entire life. Really, ever. You know, but for podcast podcast purposes, that might be a fun. Ugh, thing for us to do don't make me do it that would be awesome you're mean <laughs> this would be great but anyway <laughs> it just goes to it goes to show and it made me think of like how some scripts never die where maybe people don't like them in the moment but five six years down the road they reread That's your so script true. and they're like wait a minute this was awesome a new batch of executives a new batch of people watching the movie yeah 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 maybe you're just ahead of your time or maybe not you never know Okay. I have one last thing. I'm yeah. sorry no, no, for it that I, I forgot about. I went and saw No Hard Feelings in theaters. Mm. And if that's the Jennifer Lawrence rated R comedy that's in theaters at the moment. And I have not seen a comedy in theaters, and I don't can't tell you how long. And a rated R comedy in theaters also can't tell you. I feel like Neighbors was the last one I saw in theaters. And that yeah. was quite a while ago. Definitely pre-pandemic. And... I loved it. Everyone was laughing. Everyone was having a good time. The movie was not story-wise very strong, Mm -hmm. but I didn't give a shit. It was such a fun movie-going experience that I loved it. So I don't know what that's worth, but I think that that's interesting, and everyone should go see No Hard Feelings. That's awesome. I... I I went on a vacation and it really threw off my movie watching. It did. You went at the wrong time. I did. I went the one one week where I needed to be here. <laughs> but I want to see that. Joyride just recently came out. And then yes. if I don't see the, these movies now, now we're moving into Mission Impossible, Oppenheimer, it's true. Barbie you're, territory. You're done. I'm you got to go now. We're, I'm seeing Elemental this weekend and then I'm seeing Joyride next week. So I can clear the books for the incredible July that we're about to have okay okay is this it speaking of which let's get into some summer blockbuster conversations let's do it you saw the flash i have seen the flash 
This is all spoilers from here on out, folks. <laughs> Spoiler time. I just want to start this podcast okay. by saying I know a lot goes into making movies. Yes. I'm not taking anything away from anybody. I do not have a movie in theaters, so I know it's very difficult. It's like moving an entire country. It's a miracle. Like, it is. Yeah. It's a miracle. So I don't want to take anything away. I'm just saying that in case it sounds like I may dislike certain... I feel like the base foundation is we respect everyone and we love everyone who made these movies. But as yeah. fans, we're going to talk now purely as fans of movies. Yeah. So what did you think of The Flash, Tasha? I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. And I, it's complica- complicated because of the Ezra Miller of it all. But I, I also thought they were great. I just... It sucks, but the whole movie in itself, I loved, and it was long, and it didn't feel long to me. I thought it was fucking funny. I loved Michael Keaton Batman. It was everything I had needed and wanted it to mm-hmm. be. I loved it. Josh, how did you feel? So I did not feel as strongly as that. I did not enjoy the movie like you have enjoyed the movie. I personally didn't think Ezra Miller was the right person for The Flash. That's so interesting. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I just, you know, it's what's crazy is, first of all, Michael Keaton's the greatest ever. The greatest. And I was actually trying to think of when Batman wasn't awesome for at least one scene in any of these movies we've seen in the last like 20 years. Mm-hmm. Like even Ben Affleck, he had, listen, he, he's, I love me some Ben Affleck, even, even as Batman. <laughs> he's had, he was uh-huh. a badass. Anyway, my point... So I heard that with Flashpoint, and I was telling you this, I don't I don't read the comics, but I heard that in the comic, uh, based off of the movie or the movie that's based off of the comic, what happens in this comic is that Flash does something to go back in time, and he messes things up where Bruce Wayne ends up surviving, and then Bruce Wayne's I'm sorry, Bruce Wayne ends up dying, Bruce Wayne's father ends up becoming Batman because. Bruce Wayne died and then Bruce Wayne's mother becomes the Joker and and I was like that's awesome and I guess just at a bigger picture the Flash seemed like the way it was being talked about was like it was going to be part of this new James Gunn universe and it was to be like this new this movie to save DC's like old movies but it just kind of was like a standalone it actually felt like a weird like knockout punch to the Zack Snyder era of, of... I think that is what it... My understanding was that it's the end of the Zack Snyder era. But there's and still like Aquaman coming This movie was already out. in production. I didn't know that. It's It was already well into production when James Gunn came in and you know he watched it and was like, this movie is so good. I get thumbs up. I give it my approval. But I think he's taking a totally different direction now. But, so it's funny. My I thought I read that it was since it was a multiverse movie that it could have like branched off and oh. tied into the gun universe, and this could just sit here. And then so in twenty years, when people need to revisit DC and go back, they're like, "Oh, hey, the Flash went into the multiverse, and it connects to the James Gunn stuff." So it basically, I right. thought that's what was going to happen. But anyway, aside from that, I had just so many problems with this movie. I'm just gonna. I'm well, not, to, to talk I'm, about that for just one more second, I did read that this upsets me greatly. That there was a spinoff planned with Michael Keaton as Batman again, which may or may not be a James Gunn thing. 
because I, I think he's like our age or slightly older. He looks he's sure. James Gunn? Um, yeah, he's older than us, right? I hope so. <laughs> Me too, just for the sake of our career longevity. Anyways, um, so like Michael Keaton would be his Batman. So, uh, but the, the article said that Kevin Smith had suggested that a spinoff with Michael Keaton was only going to happen if Flash was a success. And everyone is saying that Flash is a flop. I don't think it's making back the money that it spent. And that makes me sad because it means we might not get Michael Keaton Batman spinoffs. And that's really what the people want. Yeah, no, he's gone. Which we want. James Gunn is 56, by the way. Okay, yeah. A couple years on us. (laughs) I think Michael Keaton was in the Batgirl movie that was scrapped. Oh, shit. He had a cameo in that, I heard. Anyway... Let's let's walk through what you did not like about this movie. Story, structure, character, CG, what is it? Character didn't like. I thought like the Ezra Miller two characters were obnoxious. I know that was sort oh. of supposed to be maybe his character, but it was just too obnoxious. And by the way, I, not to be nitpicky, we're not going scene by scene. No. But that opening baby sequence. Yes. First of all, that barista would have finished the coffee just or the sandwich that he was making just because Ezra traveled across to some <laughs> other place. It didn't speed up the actions that were, he had long conversations with Batman and Wonder Woman. Anyway, so it just felt like such an odd choice. And I know maybe that, that, that opening scene was a de- declaration of what the movie was going to be. And it was kind of like, if you don't like this opening scene, you're probably not going to like this movie. Yeah. And that's how I felt about it. But it just felt so contrived. And like, yeah. well, what can we do? Oh, there's babies falling out of this building. All right. So there's going to be falling babies. You're going to throw one in a microwave. And it just felt really weird to me. And I was like, is this really what this movie is? Oh, no. I'm out. I was out in the first scene. Yeah. I do feel like that first baby scene is make it or break it for an audience. Paul and I were watching it and we were incredibly surprised, shocked by this this scene not only because the cg was very weird Mm -hmm. everyone looked just super plasticky and fake but also yes like you're escalating this by babies a bunch of babies falling out a window and a dog and they look ridiculous because they don't look like actual babies and a dog right so it was very much setting the scene for prepare that this is what the movie you're about to watch and at first i think we were both like oh god and then we were like Oh, shit, because it kept leveling up. Like that scene where everyone's falling and he's kind of freezing time a little bit and he's putting a baby in a microwave and he sends a he eats a burrito because his metabolism is low or something. I don't know how science and he sends (laughs) the burrito over and it like like it's in space and it floats and it forget what it does. It like hits it hits like a bunch of scalpels away. Right. So that a baby doesn't get scalpeled to death. And so. And then I was at that point, I was kind of on for the ride because I was like, oh, this is meant to be a ridiculous roller coaster. And yeah. I just have to buy into how silly it is. And then the leveling up of the silliness became part of the fun of the of the scene. And then I think that so I think we just we went we traveled into different multiverses, you and I in that we moment. <laughs> we did. I, I, I was like, oh, I'm out. Like in that, I just, that was it. I, I actually, I was trying, I was like, I can't believe they just did that. That was really weird. And, yeah. but aside from that, I, I just, the Ezra Miller thing, 
I don't know if it's my own personal issues, things that happen with them. I don't know what it is, but I had, I, I just was like, I, I have no interest in watching this Flash movie. Did you not like him in Justice League either? He was not my favorite in Justice League. Wow. I mean, then that, that feels personal because he, to me, was what they, or what made that movie in any way enjoyable. I yeah. loved every scene I could see that. that they were in. So this, I was just like, yes, I get double Ezra Miller. Absolute Ezra Miller as Flash specifically. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I, I love, I love their Ezra. And also like they were actually two very different uh, versions of Flash. Like the, the, the Ezra Miller Flash that we know in our, in our multiverse, who was in Justice League was actually ended up being more serious in this movie versus his, sort of younger version. Mm. Did you hate the younger version more or hate both equally? So I actually think Ezra Miller's a like a really good dramatic actor. Mm-hmm. I've seen him in I, I I've seen Ezra Miller in other things and um the alternate younger Ezra was just super obnoxious. It was just yeah. so overboard to me. I was like this there's no way I can watch the rest of this movie. So maybe it was he that might have been the anchor to mm-hmm. uh you know Throw me out. Yeah. Well, Ezra aside, what did you think of the introduction of Michael Keaton Batman? Freaking loved it. I loved yeah. it. I loved that. I loved the Supergirl. Yeah, she was great. I could have watched an entire movie on Supergirl, Michael Keaton becoming Michael Keaton in that territory. I think that's what it was. I wa- I was watching these two other characters that I was like really into. I was like, wow, that's really cool. They've been holding this one alien kid in this this area and then we've got michael keaton who's now in this in this current state and i was like those are the stories i want to be watching in this not not this other story which i just didn't personally find as engaging that's all it's a mother-son story i cried you cried When when he had to go back in time again to kill his mother essentially to stop him himself from saving his mother's life by adding that can of tomatoes in the cart. I cried so hard. Because you're right. Ezra Miller is a fantastic, dramatic actor. And so when he cries, I cry. Okay. The sacrifice he has to make for the world. Did you like... You literally have to kill your mother. Like, very few superheroes are faced with that dilemma. It's... I can go save my girlfriend or I can save the world is an often sort of problem dilemma that they have. But to kill my mom, it's not even saving my mom. I have to go actively kill my mom for the rest of the world to to survive. I also felt like the movie jumped into the promise of the premise pretty quickly. It was just like, let's just get the Flash traveling in time. Let's just get there. Let's, let's just go. I agree. And it happened so quick. It was like, oh my God, I, I went in this bubble and I traveled and I think I can go save our parents, Bruce, and, and, or whatever. It, it was just like, oh man. Okay. Okay. Let's just get there. It this. did happen fast. They, they, yeah. They Which I appreciate. That for sure. Because that's probably what I would have done, to be totally honest. But um, <laughs> Let's just get to it. Let's just let's get just, to this no, movie. No one gives a shit about this other stuff. Let's just get to it. Anyway, so that's What do that. you think of the CG? This is a big to- hot topic. At least it was consistent in its poorness. Yeah, it's true. It was like a, it felt like it was an active decision. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. I actually wasn't. The babies did throw me off, but the CG throughout, 
it felt uh, intentional, which I actually yeah. weirdly appreciated that yeah. it, it didn't waver. Yeah. So for those of you who are not familiar with the CG sort of topic of this movie, um, the director has come out and said that the the poor CG that Josh and I are talking about is intentional. That's like the tone of the movie. That's absolutely what it's meant to look like and et cetera, et cetera. And then some VFX CG artists who do not work on the movie, by the way, at least the article I read in particular, this, this gentleman did not work on the movie, but he has worked on a huge properties um, in CG and, and VFX. And he just broke down the reality of what it takes to make a movie of this size mm. within the time that they are given, which is usually very short because the way studios release movies is they know when that movie is going to release well before that movie is done with production. And they're often trying to compete with other studios who are putting out movies around the same time. I remember going into a meeting once at Universal and they they have this huge calendar on the wall of their big conference room that is all the other studios and when their movies are releasing. And one of the, the jobs my boss had was to do... Um, sort of competitive, call, call competitors and sort of get get the the tea on when their movies are releasing. And so she, part of why she was hired was, and part of why all these execs are hired at the studio level is because they have a network of friends at other studios, right, and other production companies. And so they would, she would often call, just series of call after call after call to try and find someone at Disney who would tell her when their movies are releasing. So mm. that she could get that. And now I think we can Google it in a way that, but you know, I'm sure they have to fact check. So point being, Warner Brothers knew they wanted to release Flash at a certain date and we had to hit that date or people were fucked. And so VFX artists had to work extreme hours. And also like the way that this VFX artist was saying it is that um, Warner Brothers will send say like 10, 10 shots to one VFX studio. And then 10 shots to another VFX studio because that's how they break it up. It's like, oh, it's even. It's 10 shots for you and 10 shots for you. But maybe that second studio is getting 10 shots of the babies falling. Yeah. And the other studio is getting 10 shots of him just running across a bridge. Those are not really equal shots. Those, those require much different work, much more labor. And so certain studios are not able to kind of put out the, the same quality as someone else, even though they're given the same sort of timeline for those 10 shots, right? So the, what this VFX artist was saying is that the, the system is fucked and that the movie's poor CGI quality is because of lack of time, essentially. So that's interesting. If yeah. the director is saying that's intentional, but behind the scenes people are like, no, it's not. But it's the tone of the movie. <sighs> the bad CG is kind of the tone of the movie. Yeah, it is kind of the tone of the movie. Uh, yeah, I'm not even going to pretend to know anything about CG. Uh, it yeah. seems like an incredibly difficult position to be in. So, that I, But yeah, it was, it was the tone. I didn't, there were certain things I just didn't really understand. Um, you know, as this entire conversation's happening, I'm just itching to talk about Indiana Jones. I Let's just, get into it. We just have to go into Indy. Go, <sighs> Tasha. What'd you think? What'd you think? Okay, 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 okay. Um, Give me your some of you... Wait, 
give me your rate. Yeah, go. And then I want your rankings of all the Indiana Jones movies. Oh, easy. So as some of you know, my dog's name is Indiana Jones, Indiana Bones, dog tour, Indiana <laughs> Bones, because I love Indiana Jones just so, 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 so much. My rankings. Last Crusade, Raiders, <sighs> Temple, Dial, and that's it. Those are the only movies that exist. Okay. We'll pretend like Crystal Skull isn't there. But Dial has made it onto the list. I, I might buy Dial of Destiny as a DVD and add it to my collection. Oh. Yeah. DVD. <laughs> that's what I'm surprised about. But okay. Wait. Can I... Small <laughs> tangent. Someone... Someone mentioned to me that he thinks that DVDs might come back because people are so frustrated with not being able to watch the content they want to watch because it gets taken off. And who knows, some crazy billionaire CEO might just take their favorite show off of the air and never show it again. And people are nervous about that. So maybe DVDs will come back. And it reminds me of Phil, one of our former writers group members who was buying DVDs way back when. And we're like, what are you doing, Phil? He's like, we don't know if we're going to be able to stream these forever. We're Fucking like, Phil. oh, Phil, <laughs> you're so silly. <laughs> Phil's going to become a multimillionaire selling DVDs when they're like I, coming back in style. I wouldn't doubt it. So Dial of Destiny, I had a really, I told you I was going with low expectations, but that was a lie. I had really high expectations. I needed this movie to be great <laughs> and it was not. This movie was fine. Okay. And it was fine for the main reason being Indiana Jones should always be the smartest person in the room. Yeah. He's not. Really? Phoebe Waller-Bridge was the smartest person in the room. And she was cocky about it, which made Indy not seem like the amazing hero I want to invest in the way he's been for all the other three movies. Interesting. And not only that, but she was in more of it. (laughs) Like I feel like I got 75% Phoebe and 25% Indy, and I needed that to be flipped. Really? And yes. And Phoebe, her backstory is that she's essentially a con woman. And my thought is why not let Indiana Jones be completely knowledgeable about archaeology and give you the Latin and give you the archaic Greek thing of this thing and solve those puzzles? And why not give Phoebe, let her lean into the con woman aspect. Like Indy is not good at talking to people, for example, right? Mm -hmm. He'd rather whip you in the face or shoot you than talk you through something. So maybe Phoebe can step in for those situations. Maybe, maybe we need to steal something, um, you know, like pickpocket something in order to get to the next moment that we need. And maybe she can be valuable there, but she was also like, a genius archaeologist just like him. And so again, I was like, well, then why does Indy need to be in this scene? Why is he in this movie if Phoebe can just do all of it? I'm watching a Phoebe movie now. I'm not watching an Indy movie. So it it seems like this, the, the balancing act of Indy, the b- main problem is they haven't figured out how to pass the baton. Mainly because it's like, do people yeah. want Indy to pass the baton? But if you want to carry on the mythology and the universe of indiana jones you have to figure out a way to pass it on but the universe is not what makes indiana jones good it's indiana jones so like i don't think we need to carry i feel like i would see young indy maybe 
And I would invest in a really good younger actor who can bring me Indiana Jones. But I don't need to see Phoebe Waller-Bridge fighting the Nazis and finding artifacts. That's not why I care about Indiana Jones. Mm. You could put Indiana Jones anywhere and, and anywhere in time. And I love it because of Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones. This is very interesting. This is like fascinating because I don't think you'll ever be able to, unfortunately, that that time is 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 coming gone. Like the peak, it's like seeing Han Solo again and, and being like, I want to see Han Solo, but you just won't be able to ever see the Han Solo that made us who we are. Yeah. Can I tell you something horrifying? Oh, please. When I walked out of that theater, my mind said to me, Tasha, what if someone came to you and said, we could have infinite Indiana Jones movies if we use AI to recreate Harrison, <laughs> like young Harrison Ford's body and just take all of his voice that we already have and just plug it in there with new stories, would you take it? And I didn't know. I don't know. I didn't know. That's what the I first step. That's, uh-oh. Someone just slipped a drug in front of you. And you're like, no, 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 no. But then in your head, you're like, Maybe. And it's Maybe? the most addictive drug in the world. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Wow. So it's that. Well, so that means that the CG in Indy might have been pretty good. It's pretty, the, it was, you notice it. You notice when it's young Indy and it's CG. Um, I was listening to an interview and he said that in the younger version of him, the de-aged version, it was really his mouth moving, I guess. So... Like, okay. and, and also his body moving. So like they, they were able to really replicate and they did a really great job replicating him. And even though they like sort of plastered on a younger face. Yeah, no, it was great. It was you, great. You know what I love about this in true Tasha form, you, you narrowed in on character. And I feel like this is a very important distinction in the movie that for those who may have not liked it for the sim- similar reasons, they might not know why they don't like it, but I feel mm-hmm. like. That whatever you just said, and again, I'm going to see it, but that makes sense. And I actually enjoyed this conversation because I can like now I'm gonna watch the movie through a different spectrum. But Ugh. so would you see a Phoebe Waller Bridge movie? I don't think I would. Really? They would really have to make the like the world in the story so, so, so interesting. Like like above and beyond what we've seen in other Indiana Jones movies, so that I'm going for that, like the the mystery of whatever history problem she's solving. But I'm not going to just go see it because it's an Indiana Jones spinoff. So this is this is interesting because I guess the way to carry on Indiana Jones in the future, it's not through the world. It's through it's through having a an Indiana Jones, like having I, that character you just yeah. want to invest in. You need Indiana. You need specifically Indiana Jones. And this is nothing against Phoebe or the character that Phoebe plays. I think she's great and she's super fun to watch. But I came for an Indiana Jones movie and I got a Phoebe Waller-Bridge movie with some Indiana Jones on the side. But yeah, I would watch Young Indy for sure. The adventuring. Was there good adventuring? The adventuring was fine. Oh. (laughs) I know. I know. The puzzles were basic. The solves were basic. And Indiana Jones wasn't doing most of the solving. And the solves he did do were basic. I mean, I'm used to him having complex solutions to difficult problems and surprising me with his ability to solve something that I didn't even see. And he does not do that. 
Another thing, this is minor, but another thing that I was wishing for was sort of the the epic fan moments that mm. you'd expect. So, like, if you remember in The Last Crusade, Indy gets his hat in that movie, right? He's young Indiana Jones, played by um, River Phoenix, and the, like, criminal dude who kind of looks like Indiana Jones that he, that he fights at the beginning right. puts his hat on River Phoenix's head and, like, kind of bows his head to the camera, and then when he lifts his head back up, it's Harrison Ford. Peak Spielberg, by it's the way. It's epic. Yeah. So the hat, obviously, we know is super key. In this movie, when we meet him, he's not wearing his Indiana Jones outfit. And then he changes into his Indiana Jones outfit in the opening set piece. And I'm like, I'm waiting for it. I'm like, Uh we're going to get a fucking gear up scene of Indiana Jones. It's going to be so amazing. I can't wait to see what they do with putting on his hat. And instead, what they do is they cut to... Him already wearing his outfit and his hat and his whip and everything. And I'm like, wait, what? Wow. Where is my moment? (laughs) We haven't seen him wear this outfit in years. You're just going to skip it? And they did. And like the the first use of the whip is sort of a, a throwaway moment. So like there wasn't sort of fan... There wasn't, I'm going to say fan service, but that's not really what I mean because you don't, you shouldn't think of fan service necessarily when you're writing something, but there aren't those moments where you're making the audience cheer, right? And that's something you need Mm. to think about is the cheer moments. We, J.J. Abrams talks about this, right? There were very few cheer moments in terms of someone who's going to go see an Indiana Jones movie because they love Indiana Jones. They just didn't bother with those moments. Sounds like, sounds like a James Mangold uh, specific decision to just say Indy's been living in this world we're just going to put you into a a world that this man lives in and we're not going to have any cheer moments (laughs) (laughs) not going to make the audience enjoy this at all (laughs) yeah if it's not if it was a JJ yeah you know he's putting the hat on he's cranking out that whip that's what makes you excited to be there it's a movie you gotta have these moments I wonder if something like that maybe would have helped throughout the rest of the movie because you would have already gotten, you've been like coming off of a high. You're like, okay, we got Indy. He put his hat on. That's okay. I can see some Phoebe Waller-Bridge now doing the indie stuff. I think that's a really great point. Yeah. Wow. So where does the franchise go from here? It, it should die. Oh. oh, no. <laughs> no, no. It should go, it should go young indie. I think young it should indie. go young indie. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You need to find the right actor, but it should go young indie. It's so funny sure. because I think of spinoff. Like, that's where my brain goes. I'm like, okay, how do you spin off this universe? Would you watch a movie where Harrison Ford is just kind of relegated? I don't know if he dies at the end of the movie, but like if he, he's just relegated to like a mentor who just people visit every once in a while. He's in like one scene per movie. No. No. That's not who Indiana Jones is. But that's who people eventually become. How dare you? You're saying people age? <laughs> How dare you, sir? That's what I actually would find interesting is the aging ver- version of, uh, like, that's what I kind of liked about Michael Keaton in The Flash and, like, mm-hmm. the, these people who kind of accept age. I feel like that's a vulnerability or an aspect that you kind of have to explore when you're these iconic characters. That's very fair and for me to argue against that makes me sound like an asshole Um, but it is something (laughs) that harrison ford talks about in interviews is he loved how he's introduced in the movie as the older version of himself he loved being able to play 
this guy who's kind of fading out, I guess. And I appreciate that he loved that. (laughs) But I don't love it (laughs) because (laughs) I... Okay. I'm I'm trying to put myself in a place where I'm watching a movie with Phoebe Waller-Bridge as the new Indiana Jones going on adventures who visits Harrison Ford at a museum. And Harrison is just, I don't know, grumpy, drinking, reading ancient cuneiform or something and it's fine but that's not why i want to go see harrison ford as indiana jones being grumpy and saying funny things i want him to go on an adventure i want him to be the underdog in a fight scene against nazis and somehow through his cleverness get out of it yeah i want all those things it does seem like he can do that too because he's not like a traditional 90s action you know beat him up type person he does use his brains and wit to get himself out of certain scenarios and so that is something that to me is really appealing about yeah and his adventuring of course i just had a thought a vision here it is put it on the vision board you ready okay yeah you just crushed tomb raider it came out Mm. on netflix everyone's like oh my god this is like the greatest show in the history of the world Mm mm-hmm Netflix somehow brokers a deal with Disney. They're like, Tasha. Or maybe just Disney does this. They're like, we want you to do to Indiana Jones what you did to to Tomb Raider. An animated series? It's animated. Ah! Where do we- <laughs> I mean, I would just work on that for the rest of my life and yeah. be happy. That's it. That's actually where you're like, you tell your agent, I'm done. I'm good. Just just keep me locked into this for the next 50 years, and I'm good. Yeah. So I had that vision. All right. So we need to figure out a way to, I mean, we don't have to do it now, but I, I because it is a, it's a tough target to hit where you are yes. servicing old fans, like unfortunately right. you and I, and you are, <laughs> and you are trying to market to a new generation. That's just such a hard... Yeah. Intersection. And you know what? Paul, after the movie, went to the bathroom. <laughs> Contemplated life. Came out and said there were some young young men in that bathroom talking about Indiana Jones. What? What? He said they were in their 20s, but I feel like they were teenagers. Um, but they were like, ugh, that movie was so boring. It's such an old movie. Why are we watching it? This dude's like 80-something. Lame. And I wanted to run into that bathroom and just like that Mission Impossible scene with Henry Cavill. That's what I wanted to do. You load up the arms. <laughs> Let's go. Oh, no. Because I can talk about Indiana Jones this way, but absolutely you can't say that. So um, I don't know if they they even managed manage that managed to get the new the new audience. Oh. Um, young Indiana Jones would do it, in my opinion, because you don't have Harrison Ford, you don't have kind of this older lumbering That's... Harrison. And uh, did Indy have yeah. a son in this movie? You want to know that? Yeah, they killed Shia LaBeouf <laughs> off. <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not too surprising, but because um, I'm wondering, remember back when the, like Chris Pratt was rumored to be Indiana Jones, when it was Gosh. like he was peaking yeah, during, so. like, would you watch? Oh, if 
if if Chris Pratt was his long lost son, and and then all of a sudden, could, could, he could take over the mantle. He might even be a little old to start taking it over. You might need like yeah. a twenty five year old. Get in there, Tom Holland. His son. Hmm. I could I could see I could see it. Oh, this might be how we spin it off. A daughter? Is Phoebe Waller-Bridge his daughter? Yeah, I mean, any of those things. As long as they are like Indiana Jones. Unfortunately, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is not like Indiana Jones. So I don't, I'm like not excited to watch her character continue the thing because she's, she's a con woman. She's all those things. And that's like not who Indiana Jones is. But if someone came in to embody him and was was related to him, and then also visited him in museums as a mentor or whatever. I'd yeah, I'd be down for that. Wow, that we just brought you around to the the, the future of India. Spinoff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. I'm gonna go rewatch it and see how I feel. I don't know. I don't know. I would love to hear other people's thoughts, but everyone I'm talking to, particularly people who love it, but also people who are just kind of whatever. I'm gonna go see it. Have have felt that it is a it is a mediocre translation of Indiana Jones, unfortunately. I can't, I, I, this is weirdly making me more excited to see it. I'm so sorry this conversation is happening before you see it. I really wanted you to go in cold. No, I, this is, I honestly, I, I, this is actually, I, I enjoyed this kind of version of talking about it and getting your opinion on it because I know how much you love Indiana Jones. Yeah. Can we leave the podcast before we do the quote of the day with a quick story? Yeah. I messaged you and Paul about my daughter seeing Indy. <laughs> I said, yeah. hey, is, Amelia, is is Indy too scary for Amelia? Mm-hmm. And you both thought I was talking about your dog. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait. <laughs> like, well, how does she do with dogs? Indy's really good about not jumping, but maybe we should keep her on a leash. And you're like, what the fuck are you people talking about? <laughs> I know you were probably so offended because I was like, Paul, I need your specific opinion. <laughs> Katasha doesn't know. <laughs> Yeah. Are you going to take Amelia? No, I'm see this is why I just go to things by myself. I just I just I just need I just need to go. Unless she yeah. wants to come with on my time, then then she can come. Right, right, right. Okay. Well, I can't wait to hear about that in this week in writing next time. Yeah. And uh Godspeed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, quote of the day. Let's go. Something has to happen in every scene. When you watch good movies, stuff happens. You learn something. You tease something. The story moves. That's it. Every fucking scene from the start to the end makes stuff happen. Taika Waititi. Boom. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Threads at also Story Thursday. <laughs> Josh Hallman on Instagram. Joshua Hallman on Twitter. I, I don't know. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> okay. As always, the Act Two podcast is a production of Act Two, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist. Music by 414 Beg, which you can find on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs>